Hey everybody, welcome back for another episode of the podcast from P-Town. Hope everybody's having another good week out there. It's definitely getting, still getting a lot colder. I'll probably keep saying that until spring arrives, but it is getting colder. There's, um, sounds like some of our ski resorts are planning to open by Thanksgiving. They've gotten a few inches of snow, which isn't going to be enough, but there's more snow on the horizon, um, looking at the weather forecast. So it sounds like some of them may be opening by Thanksgiving this year. It seems back in the past, I think they always open by Thanksgiving, but lately there's been a few times here a few years ago, we had one ski resort out here that they didn't even get enough snow to open at all that year. So it really kind of hurt them. Uh, taking a look at the news. I don't have a whole lot to talk about uh, this week. I was reading a deal just tonight that there's a warning coming out from the Surgeon General to saying that people need to watch out what memes and health, um, graphs and things like that that they share on the internet because it's giving out health misinformation um, and getting people confused. But I kind of you know, urge them to look in their own backyard and see how much misinformation they sent out. Like at the beginning of the COVID, uh, every death that came out of the hospitals was attributed to COVID. No matter if the guy died of a heart attack or, you know, had something else going on, it was always listed as COVID. So they kind of need to look in their own backyard a little bit before they start shouting out to the masses that we need to change what we're doing. And along with that, I don't know if you guys saw the news deal that Nancy Pelosi was spotted at a wedding not wearing a mask, but she says that our kids going to school need to be wearing masks. So again, if, you know, they want, they need to start leading by example, not just telling us what to do and then they don't have to follow through with it themselves. Probably the biggest news thing that I think I heard about this week, and I didn't even actually really uh, hear that much about it, was those people getting trampled at that Astro World concert or whatever. I guess it's the second time that something like this has happened by whatever group puts that thing on. And this time, I think the final count was like, what, like 18 people that ended up getting killed. And some of them were young. Like, I think there was a 14 year old and nine year old. Or eight people. Did I say? I'm not sure if I said 18. But uh, yeah, it was eight people. And, uh, it, you know, that's that's pretty sad when uh, people that young are getting trampled at these concerts or getting crushed or whatever it is. Uh, that was really a sad deal. Looking at um, sports, the uh, Atlanta Braves were able to finish off this entire season with a win. They won the World Series last week, which... I was proud to proud to see. I've been a Braves fan for quite some time, and uh, they all they seem to be one of those teams that they do really good, but they can't really finish it off. Kind of like the Portland Trailblazers, they'll do really good for most of the year, and then when it comes down to counting, it doesn't seem like they can uh, they can pull it off. And then there's still always the Eagles. They lost another game this week. At least this week they kind of they fought pretty hard. They played a pretty good game for most of it, but they ended up uh, they end up losing in the end. And I wasn't really expecting anything different, so there's that. But anyhow, getting into what we're talking about tonight is we're going to be talking about Buddy Holly. And I think everybody knows who he was, but there's some interesting stuff in this one. So he was born on September 7th, 1936, 
And his name when he was born was Charles Halden Holly. And if you guys didn't know, they've been spelling his last name wrong ever since he kind of made it to the big time. Somebody accidentally spelled it without the E in Holly, and that's uh, how it kind of stuck. But he was born in Lubbock, Texas, and he was nicknamed Buddy from a very young age. They uh, just all growing up, they always called him Buddy. And his dad was named Lawrence Odell Holly, and his mom was named Ella Pauline Drake. And there wasn't a whole lot about the mom and dad's uh, previous lives, but the whole family, they were interested in music. Every member of the family could play an instrument except for the father. His brothers and sisters, they'd end up entering local talent contests and things like that. And one of them, actually, Buddy, he was in one of the talent contests with him, and he was playing the violin, but he didn't know how to play it. So his brother greased the strings of his violin so it wouldn't make any noise while he was playing it, so it just looked like he was playing it. But he started out taking piano lessons, but he, he ended up quitting that after about nine months. So his parents ended up buying him a steel guitar, but he wanted a guitar like the one that he saw his brother playing with after he had returned from World War II. Uh, his brother had bought one overseas somewhere and brought it back, and Buddy saw him playing it, and he wanted one like that. So they ended up buying him a guitar like that, and then his brother taught him how to play it. He was around 11 at the time when he ended up learning how to play that. I've always wanted to learn how to play the guitar, but never have been able to. But growing up, he liked music by like Hank Williams, uh, Hank Snow, Jimmy Rogers, a lot of different type of that type of music that he grew up with. When he was in elementary school, he ended up meeting uh, Bob Montgomery, and they began playing music together. And as you know, Bob, he went on to have a pretty successful uh, music career as well. But Buddy, he'd also he'd play with other musicians, musicians as he progressed through school. And in 1952, him and Jack Neal had a band called Buddy and Jack, and they participated in a talent contest. And Jack, he ended up leaving after the talent competition. I'm not sure if they what terms they left on or whatever. But he, he ended up getting back together with uh, Bob Montgomery, and they created the duo Buddy and Bob. And it seems like he kind of has a knack for catchy band names. So they'd start playing on a Sunday morning radio show, and they'd end up doing live concerts around town, just kind of some local stuff. Um, and by this time, he was kind of getting into more R&B type of music, and he began blending his normal country and western music with the R&B stuff, which was kind of getting him out there a little bit more. People were starting to pay a little bit more attention to him, I guess. Uh but he he ended up graduating high school in 1955, and he decided to pursue a career in music. And it worked out well for him because soon after he was able to open uh, open a concert by I'm not sure if you heard of the name. This guy's name was uh, Elvis Presley, and that was at the Fair Park Coliseum. He actually opened for him. So then in April he opened for him at the Cotton Club. And again, he, in June, he opened for him at the Coliseum. So he kind of gives true meaning to the go big or go home saying. But then by the next October, he was booked to open for another band called Bill Haley and his Comets. Probably heard of them too. And this was going to be in front of a Nashville scout named Eddie Crandall. And Crandall, he liked, he liked what he saw and uh, liked listening to him. And he talked to the Grand Ole Opry manager to seek a recording contract for him. 
and he ended up getting signed by Decca Records in 1956. And like I said, this is where they ended up spelling his name wrong. They spelt it Holly without the E-Y, with just the Y. And so for the rest of his career, this would end up how uh, he would be known. So at his first recording session, uh, that came on January 26th of 1956. And then he had two more sessions in Nashville, but the producer that was putting it on, he selected the musicians and the arrangements, which was kind of making Buddy frustrated. He wanted to have more creative control over what they were putting out. So Buddy, he was he was getting pretty unhappy with the results that he was getting from Decca. So he reached out to a guy by the name of Norman Petty, who had released a couple of albums uh, for some a few other people that were starting to see some success. And Buddy and a couple of instrumentalists that he knew visited Petty's studio in Clovis, New Mexico. And here they recorded a demo of That'll Be The Day. And by now, Buddy, he was playing lead guitar as well as being lead, lead singer, so he was starting to enjoy it more. And anyhow, Petty, he was now their manager, and he was impressed with their performances, so he sent the record to Brunswick Records in New York. And Hollywood, he was still under contract with Decca, so this album, it couldn't be released under his name. So a guy by the name of Allison, who is the bassist, suggested the name The Crickets. And Brunswick ended up releasing it and um, under that name, and he they ended up giving uh, Buddy Holly artistic control and financial responsibility for future recordings. And the executives there... They were impressed with the recording, and they actually they released it without it having to be re-recorded. So it was released under the band name of the Crickets, but in a strange twist of uh, events here, they found out that Brunswick was actually a subsidiary of Decca, and so they were able to go back to using Buddy's name on future recordings. So it's kind of interesting. They would release the recordings, I think, under Brunswick using the name The Crickets, and then they would end up releasing recordings using the name Buddy Holly under another company called Coral Records, which was also another subsidiary of Decca. But Petty, he was trying to get their name out there, so he ended up booking the band on a tour. And at the same time, he was also preparing two album releases. And again, this was one under the name of the Crickets and then one under the name of uh, Buddy Holly. And the hard work, it was starting to pay off. On September 23rd of 1957, That'll Be The Day ended up topping the U.S. Best Sellers in Stores chart. And it was number one in the U.K. Singles chart for three weeks in November. And then around this time, they also released Peggy Sue and Every Day. And Peggy Sue grew quickly to number three on the top Billboard chart and number two on the R&B chart. So they were, you know, they were definitely getting seen. And by now, they, you know, they were kind of hitting the big time. They were at began making appearances on the Ed and Sullivan or the Ed Sullivan show and they also began an international tour and on this tour they started out in Hawaii and then they went for a week-long tour in Australia and then they went on to the UK and did 50 shows in 25 days in the UK um so that was you know that was quite a deal and by the time they were back in the U.S., they ended up being booked on Alan Freed's Big Beat show for 41 dates. So they were definitely uh, getting their name out there and getting noticed. And 
while they were, or once they were back in the United States, Holly, he ended up traveling alone to New York. Uh, and while he was on, on this trip, he met up with a gal by the name of Maria Elena Santiago. And on their first meeting, he asked her out on a date. And on the first date, he ended up proposing to her. So he meets her, asks her out for a date, and um, proposes to her all wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. And they ended up getting married on August 15th. And at the time when uh, him and her started getting got together, there was kind of some trouble brewing with Petty. He didn't approve of the wedding. He said they should keep it secret so as to not upset the female fans the buddy had. And, but on the flip side of that, the band was also getting kind of leery of his bookkeeping practices. So Santiago, she ended up going on tours with the band and they to hide their marriage though she was being introduced as the cricket secretary and she started helping set with the setup of their concerts and things like that on the tours and she also t started taking in the revenues of the shows and this show with her doing this it ended up showing they were right and questioning petty and once they found out that petty was holding the royalties to their music they ended up firing him um and after they fired him they ended up talking to the Everly brothers who they had met. I think they met them when they were touring the, uh, the UK. They ended up meeting them and kind of becoming friends with them and whatnot. And those, the Everly brothers told them that they should hire a lawyer to handle all their royalties and things like that. So Holly, he ended his business career with Petty in 1958. And unfortunately, the, the band, the, the rest of the members in the band, they must not have had much of a big of a problem with him because they end up staying on with Petty and the band split up and Holly kind of went his own way. And it was, it, it was an amicable split. You know, they weren't, there weren't really any hard feelings except for maybe with Holly and um, Petty. But it was kind of, Holly was now, he was living in New York and the band, they didn't want to leave New Mexico so the logistics of working together were becoming harder and harder, and that's kind of part of the reason that they split up. So Holly and his wife, uh, they would end up vacationing in Lubbock, and, at Lubbock, Texas. And while they were there, they went to Waylon Jennings' radio station, and they had become friends uh, earlier. Waylon and uh, Buddy, had they'd kind of known each other. and cause Holly, he'd recorded some of Waylon's songs for him. But Holly, he ended up bringing Waylon uh, into his new band along with Tom Alsap and Carl Bunch. And Holly and Jennings, they ended up going back to New York in January of 1959. And Jennings, he was staying with them at the time. And they were preparing for the Winter Dance Party Tour. And they had a meeting in New York and then they traveled by train to Chicago where they ended up meeting up with the rest of the band. And on this tour, they began they began the tour in Milwaukee. Um, it was, wasn't set up that well. The logistics of traveling in winter were becoming a problem. The tour buses that they were using were unheated and they broke down on the tour twice. Their drummer, Carl Bunch, uh, he even had to be hospitalized for frostbite. Uh, he got frostbite on his toes while riding on the bus. So Holly started looking for different modes of transportation to get him around. And he ended up chartering a four-seater Beechcraft Bonanza for, he chartered it for himself, uh, Jennings, and Alsip. 
and they are going to fly from their venue in Clear Lake to their next one in Moorhead, Minnesota. And Alsup, uh, before they got on the plane, Alsup ended up flipping a coin with Richie Valens over his seat. And Richie called heads, and he ended up winning the toss with winning in quotation marks there. He said it was the only thing that he ever won. And just as a side note, Alsup, he ended up opening a restaurant later in Fort Worth that he called Heads Up. But any, uh, so Richie was on the, Buddy and Richie were both on the plane now. And then Waylon, he ended up giving his seat to J.P. Richardson, who is better known as the Big Bopper. And the Big Bopper, he was suffering from the flu, and he said that the tour bus was too uncomfortable for a man his size. So Waylon uh, ended up giving up his seat to him. So they got on the plane. They got on the plane, and they took off. Uh, it was after midnight, and it was pretty inclement weather when they took off. And it was later reported that the pilot he wasn't trained to fly by instrument only, and also the plane had just recently had a new gyroscope installed. The new one it was evidently backwards of the old gyroscope that he was used to using. So when you thought you were climbing, you were dropping, and vice versa. So at 12.55 a.m. on February 3rd of 1959, they arrived at the crash site that they had created. It was a frozen cornfield about five miles northwest of Mason City, Iowa, and they were all killed on impact. And Buddy was only 22 years old at the time. And his funeral was on February 7th of 1959, and his body was interred at the city of Lubbock Cemetery. And the one of the really sad parts about this, I mean, it's all kind of sad on how it ended, but his wife ended up watching the first episode or first reports of his death on TV, uh, and she ended up uh, suffering a miscarriage the next day. And her mother was in Lubbock, and she saw it on the news, and she screamed and collapsed. And it was actually because of Elena's his wife's miscarriage that the authorities decided to not release the names of victims until the families were notified kind of amazing that it would take a tragedy like this for uh that to be thought of or whatever but i mean you can imagine how devastating that would be to you know see that on the news before you actually even had really heard about it that's your way of uh hearing that you're uh husband or wife or whatever ended up getting killed but in his short career um he definitely he made a name for himself and he left quite a legacy which it's actually carried on in the music industry for you know it's still kind of carried on today um and actually after seeing the crickets is why there were a couple of uh no-name performers at the time called john lennon and paul mccartney and it was because of seeing the Cricket's name is why they decided to name their band the Beatles when they saw them perform in, uh, in the UK. And then uh, uh, there was lists of other performers that were inspired by him. Uh, there was Bob Dylan, Elton John, Mick Jagger. There was a ton of people that were kind of inspired by his music. So that's pretty much it for Buddy Holly. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Like I said, you know, he kind of started off big and he ended big. There's not too many people out there that could start, uh, end up opening shows for Elvis when they were just getting, or somebody of Elvis's magnitude when they were just getting started. And also being uh, part of the reason of why the Beatles, maybe actually the biggest band in history, why their name, 
that your band was the reason that they picked that band name for themselves. So anyhow, like I say, hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, go out there and leave me a uh, review on Apple Podcasts. It's not that hard to do. You can go in there. You can put in a fake name or whatever and uh, leave a review. It'll help to get the podcast out there a little bit. This We've been going on for, it's getting close to a year now that I've been doing this podcast. I hope you guys have enjoyed it, and I appreciate all of you guys for sticking with me through it. Um, those of you that are just now hearing it, welcome. And those of you that decided not to listen to it anymore, well, that's your decision. So anyhow, um, follow me on the uh, Facebook page at Podcast from P-Town, or you can follow me on Instagram at P-Town Podcast, or you can send me an email of anything that you would like to hear or any comments that you have or anything like that. It would be kind of fun. Listening to a lot of different podcasts, they um, have like listener emails and things like that, but I don't know that I've received a single listener email yet, so it'd be a pretty short episode. So go out there, um, let me know what you're thinking, um, anything you'd like to hear about, and you can send that to me at ptownpodcast74 at gmail.com. That's it for this one. We'll see you guys on the next one. Thanks a lot.